4: from KQED. We're heading into Thanksgiving, which means you've probably got food on your mind. And we do, too. I'm Sasha Koka. And on today's California Report magazine, we're going to share some stories about the unexpected ways that food plays a role in our lives and in the history of California. We're bringing you some of our favorite stories from the award-winning series, California Foodways, which has aired here on the California Report since 2014. Lisa Morehouse has been reporting a food story from every single one of California's 58 counties. Hey there, Lisa. Hey, Sasha. So tell us about the mission of your California Foodways series.
5: You know, in California, our farms really do feed the nation. And we set food trends all over. But I'm really interested in learning about how work and the land and most of all, the people of California connect to food.
4: You know, one of the things I really love about your stories is how they dig deep into the history behind why a certain crop or a particular restaurant or a type of food exists.
5: Yeah, and that's really the case for this first story. This is one I did back in 2015. In the very southeastern part of the state, Imperial Valley, the population there is mostly Latino, but on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border, there's a lot of Chinese food. And so I wanted to find out why that was the case. The Salcedo family sits in a coveted booth at the Fortune Garden restaurant in the city of El Centro. Myra Salcedo, her sister, Marta Kramer, their mom and other sister are almost drooling, waiting for their food to arrive.
2: We come all the way from Yuma, like
3: twice a month just to eat here.
5: That's Yuma, Arizona, over an hour away. A huge side order comes, light yellow deep fried chilies. It's a dish I've never seen.
4: We always order the chili, and but my sisters, she eats them all.
5: <laughs> and their next order comes.
4: The salt and pepper fish. It's like fried fish. Sort of like a Baja-style yeah. fish. The, the chili peppers and onion and stuff like that.
5: Baja-style at a Chinese restaurant?
4: To us, it's like a, a fusion, Mexican ingredients with the Chinese. It's very different than if you go to any other Chinese, Americanized Chinese restaurant.
5: And there's a reason for this fusion, one that dates back over 130 years, I'll get to that history a little later.
2: And so, yeah, you just mix it.
5: For now, I leave the Salsedo family as they carefully mix Chinese mustard, a little spicy sriracha, and ketchup into a special, only in Imperial Valley dipping sauce for barbecue pork.
6: When they order, they don't say barbecue pork. They say canita. Yeah. Canita colorada. My name is Janessa Chao. Uh, I made mean, my husband on the fortune garden. <laughs> Zhao
5: came to the U.S. from southern China, her husband, Carlos, from Mexicali, where he worked in Chinese restaurants. In the fortune garden kitchen, the cooks speak to each other in Cantonese, the waiters speak Spanish and English. You can see every table they have lemon. Hot sauce. Chinese food, We don't eat lemon, right? Those fried yellow chilies on almost every table, chili asado, they're served in a lemon sauce with lots of salt, kind of a margarita flavor. If you believe the rumors, some chefs marinate pork in tequila, and they serve pato asado, roast duck, with lots of cilantro.
3: The restaurants that you see now are kind of the remnant of the Chinese population that used to fill the U.S.-Mexico borderlands in Mexicali and in Baja, California.
5: Robert Chow Romero is a professor at UCLA. He teaches in both the Chicano Studies and Asian American Studies departments.
3: Chinese started to go to Mexico after the Chinese Exclusion Act was passed in the United States. In 1882,
5: the Chinese were the first ethnic groups specifically singled out and banned from entry into the U.S. So tens of thousands went to Cuba, South America, and Mexico.
3: The Chinese invented undocumented immigration from Mexico smuggling with coyotes. Guides hired to lead people across the border. And smuggling with false papers and in boats and in trains. The infrastructure for that was all uh, invented by, by the Chinese.
5: In fact, today's Border Patrol grew out of the mounted guard of Chinese inspectors. Many Chinese immigrants settled in Mexicali, becoming grocers, merchants, and restaurant owners. Others managed to smuggle across and make lives in the U.S., including Imperial County. A block from the border in Calexico, California, George Lim pulls up in a big truck.
0: So how do you like our fair city?
5: And drives a few minutes.
0: We're at the international border, crossing into Mexicali.
5: He lives in the U.S. but helps run one of the oldest and most grand Chinese restaurants in Mexicali, called El Dragon. There, he goes by Jorge Lim. Why not have a restaurant in the U.S.?
0: I mean, population here, about a million.
5: Imperial County's population is about 170,000.
0: So just doing the math is, I mean, it's plain simple that you're going to have a lot more customers here in Mexico. And I hate to say this, but people in uh, Mexico are more sophisticated They're in the Imperial Valley about Chinese food.
5: That sophistication may come from the decades of people eating Chinese food here with some Mexican flavors. Seventy years ago, it was a necessity. Chinese cooks used Mexican ingredients like chilies, jicama, and certain cuts of meat because that was what was available. Now it's part of a culinary legacy, like this new dish on the menu.
0: Arrachera, which is the best meat for uh, tacos.
5: Beef served with asparagus and black bean sauce. The meat's clearly Mexican.
0: Asparagus uh, could be both Chinese and Mexican, but the sauce, the black bean, that's Chinese.
5: And in a kind of Mexican-Chinese-American hybrid, there's an egg roll with shrimp, cilantro, and cream cheese. It seems like it shouldn't be good, but it is. And this is the only place I've ever seen avocado in fried rice. George Lim's father, Canuto, came to Mexicali in 1954. He's developed many of the inventive dishes here.
0: Most people who open or work in the restaurants came to Mexicali with previous experience cooking and serving Chinese food. When these experienced chefs come here and put their heads together to share their knowledge of the trade, the Chinese cuisine gets to be really good.
3: There's no better Chinese
0: food than in Mexicali.
5: His son, George Lim, says a few restaurant employees recently arrived here from China under a special skills category. That skill? Cooking Chinese cuisine.
0: Usually they're, they come for a better way of life, and we train them.
5: And sometimes, these Mexicali-trained chefs move up north to work in Chinese restaurants in Imperial County.
0: One of the goals is to go to the U.S., have a better life. For you and for your kids, give them a better education, uh, maybe a better opportunity. They may be earning you know, dollars instead of pesos.
5: The same reasons that drew their ancestors here from southern China 130 years ago.
4: You know, Lisa, another one of my favorite stories from your California Foodways series is about a Vietnamese restaurant where the owner is actually a pop star.
5: Yeah, that's Linda Trung Dai. She's known as the Vietnamese Madonna. I went down to Orange County in 2015 to try one of her Bummy sandwiches, but first I got to go to one of her concerts. I'm in Westminster, California, in a banquet hall that's been converted to a club for the night. Linda Truong Dai is performing for a crowd that's dressed to the nines.
4: My name is Hong Nguyen. And I'm Juliet Nguyen. We're sisters and we grew up in Alabama. Down south, yeah.
5: They live in L.A. now, but they just had to make the drive out here tonight.
4: These were the big Vietnamese stars when we were younger, and we used to watch them on videos and we'd go to their concerts whenever they did come down south.
5: The sisters say there weren't a lot of Vietnamese people in Alabama in the 80s.
4: There was only like three Asian in my school, and that was two of them were my sisters. So,
5: so. Tonight, Linda is wearing a barely there, strappy outfit, which fits her image. She was
3: considered the sex symbol of her time, right, for yeah. Vietnamese singer. She was the Madonna, the, the Vietnamese, Vietnamese Madonna. Madonna.
5: Yeah. Linda Chang-Dai loves that comparison with her idol, but she wants
2: to be very clear. When I'm off stage, I'm like 100% completely different. A total Vietnamese traditional girl who takes care of their family food on the table, everything.
5: Case in point, she started her sandwich shop as a business with her family. Linda Sandwich is in a nondescript building in the middle of a parking lot in a strip mall, but inside it feels like a posh living room. Lush plants, bright murals of Michael Jackson and Marilyn Monroe. There's also a wall of fame with framed images of Vietnamese American singers. Linda's at a back table. She sports stiletto heels, a short skirt, and perfect makeup, including false eyelashes. The signature dish here is the banh mi sandwich, with grilled meat, fresh and pickled vegetables, and pate on a crunchy baguette. Patrick Pham is a customer here.
0: I think like the whole baguette came from like France. You know when they colonized us for a hundred years.
5: More people of Vietnamese descent live in this part of Orange County than in any other place outside Vietnam. And though Linda Trung Dai's journey here was arduous, get her talking and it sounds like a food memoir. She grew up in the early 70s in central Vietnam.
2: I remember sitting on this wooden table. My grandmother even taught me how to make it. ca banh bèo, which is dough with shrimp on it. A dish she still loves. After the
5: war, her family went from well off to poor.
2: I would buy fruit, like I would buy the whole big watermelon, cut it up and sell it and make money. And then
5: in 1979, her father got tipped off that the government was going to investigate him on suspicion of
2: aiding the CIA during the war. So we escaped on a boat. They went through storms and ran out of food. And then finally we went to one of the China Island and they kind of rescue us with rice and sugar. You know, it's strange to eat rice with sugar, but, you know, it was so good at the time. They got back on the water, headed
5: for Hong Kong, and then saw the large British ship that would save them.
2: We were, like, waving, and oh, my God, I could never forget. It was just unbelievable, amazing, most amazing moment. And uh, when we got up to, um, they rescue us, they gave us croissant.
5: Eating that croissant was like going from hell to heaven, she says. But when her family got to the U.S., she developed another passion. found her first career. It's a long story, but she went from high school performer to household name, singing with the popular variety show Paris by Night. She became a huge star. In the 90s, in any home throughout the Vietnamese diaspora, you'd probably find a VHS tape
2: featuring Linda, the videos even got back to Vietnam. Back then, the people in Vietnam, they have to hide it. It's illegal to watch it. And if they get caught, they would be fine or go to jail. But
5: an estimated 72 million people did watch them there. Even as Linda started touring Vietnamese communities around the U.S. and the world, food remained central. The first time she went to Australia...
2: I just brought... Um, so many um, different kind of Vietnamese food from here on the plane. bun Bel and they even brought this soup noodle, bùm bò
5: Other musicians encouraged her to start her own restaurant. And about five years ago, Linda Sandwich was born. A small staff does most of the food prep and sales, but Linda Trung Dai is still the only one to make a special Linda sauce that goes in the sandwiches.
2: This is my sauce maker. It's a mixer. Sometimes when I travel to Australia to sing on a tour or to Europe, I will be up all night here making sauce and sleep on the plane. Anything,
5: she
4: says, for good food. But Lisa, not all your California Foodways stories are about restaurants.
5: Most of them are kind of about the less obvious ways that food can shape and change our lives. And that's why I did this next piece. It was from the little town of Greenville in Plumas County.
4: Greenville, yeah, that's the town that burned to the ground this summer in the Dixie Fire, right?
5: Yeah, and so I thought that, while that community is rebuilding right now, we could listen back to a happier time. This was in 2017, and students from Greenville's junior, senior high school, they won a statewide culinary competition, and they were getting ready to go to nationals. When Greenville High's team walked onto the convention floor in Pomona for the state championship, they looked like pros. Wearing chef's coats, the five students calmly navigated their 10 by 10 space and each other. Cooking their Italian-influenced meal on just two burners and using only manual tools, no blenders allowed they improvised when their pasta maker wouldn't attach to the table.
0: To that sweet sizzle, take us home today, ladies and gentlemen. Last least, At the awards
5: ceremony, it was clear the judges liked what they saw and tasted.
0: Champion goes to Greenville.
5: The winners scumbled up to the stage laughing and crying in disbelief. A few weeks later, after spring break, The students are back at school, practicing in a makeshift space in the teacher's lounge. Two burners sit on top of stacked folding tables, approximating the competition layout. They tell me about the dishes that led the California Restaurant Association Foundation to hand them the win, the ones they're finessing for the national championship this weekend. Tanner Miggs makes the appetizer.
3: Authentic ravioli that has ricotta cheese on the inside with an arugula, sun-dried tomato, and garlic filling. Then it's coated in a brown butter sauce with shallot, sage, shiitake mushroom, and bacon.
5: He's cooked most of his life, but before joining the culinary team, Tanner had only ever eaten ravioli out of a can. Now he makes fresh pasta in seven minutes. Cheney Carson's in charge of the entree.
0: The fish is called aquapazza, which translates roughly to crazy water, so fish in a broth.
5: With shrimp, calamari, crushed tomatoes, and chili. Okay, that's
4: your three minutes. Our dessert, okay. the
3: judge came up to us and told us we knocked it out of the park.
5: That's Kelsey Hurd, who along with Destiny Potts is responsible for the parfait with lemon curd, pickled berries, fennel, and a pizzelle cookie. Sidney Lynn McIntosh is the team manager keeping the cooks on track. I sit down with the team in the principal's office. The students say it was obvious which teams at the state competition came from bigger or better funded schools.
3: Other schools like brought people to cheer them on and they had signs and they were all wearing the same shirts. We had three people watching us that were from here.
0: There is this one team who had their entree that was, it was lobster. (laughs) And we use cheap fish.
5: (laughs) Um, What do you think that says?
0: I think it says that in the culinary world, it's not the, as a metaphor, it's not the paint you use, it's the way you use it.
5: On the surface, this win is so unlikely. Only 1,200 people live in Greenville.
3: It's such a small town. Everybody knows everything like about each other.
5: And there aren't a lot of places for teenagers to hang out.
3: But it's just full of mountains and green trees and it's almost great.
5: (laughs) Greenville's an hour and a half drive up the Feather River Canyon from Chico in a beautiful valley that used to be filled with lumber mills. Now with fewer jobs, the town has more retirees and a shrinking high school. Only 11 students in the graduating class. So in a town this small, what's the food scene like?
3: You eat a lot of your own livestock, cows or pigs and stuff. But It's like eating local meat, I guess. There's two restaurants. Actually, there's three. We just got a new one.
5: A pizza parlor and two cafes. But maybe its size actually led to Greenville's win, Students here wear many hats. Destiny says culinary team members all perform in the school band and four of the five play sports.
4: In bigger
3: schools, you're kind of separated. Like, there's, like, the jocks and the band geeks, but, like, everybody does everything here. Tanner adds... We're set with the mind game of, like, how to win, all five of us.
5: Hours of practice and performance pressure don't phase the team. And Destiny says they're practically family.
3: All of us have grown up with each other. I've known these people my entire life. Uh, I think your water's boiling. Moving hot pan <laughs> behind you. <laughs> and it shows
5: the when they cook.
3: Once you go around the inside of the dough, then go around the
0: outside of the edge.
5: Greenville Highs offered culinary classes for decades, and teacher Judy Dolphin's taken teams to the state competition since 2011, placing second twice. Okay, I think your fish is done. You You better start plating. Yeah, it's been over three minutes. It only
0: takes me about five minutes to plate. Great. You've got five minutes.
5: The kids maybe roll their eyes a bit, but it's clear. They've got so much love for their teacher. Here's
3: Tanner. Oh, she's a firecracker. That's, she's a firecracker. She's driven. She loves her job, and she knows how to teach us. And she can be overwhelming, but it's so worth it in the long run. She's the heart of this school.
5: After Greenville's statewide win, the whole town went nuts. The school even changed the date of its prom, originally scheduled for the same time as nationals in South Carolina this weekend. The students, two of whom have never been on a plane, say they're just excited to be somewhere new, to taste Southern cooking. And teacher Judy Dolphin? I want it to be fun for them,
7: and just the experience of being clear across the United States, you know, putting your feet in the Atlantic Ocean, and if they don't place, it doesn't matter. I want them to um, learn from it and build their confidence and put their hands up and say done,
4: on time. (laughs) So Lisa, what happened to the school in Greenville after the fire?
5: It's kind of incredible. The school buildings were some of the few that didn't burn in town, but they're not holding classes there this year. The 60 junior, senior high school students, along with teachers and staff, are all at other campuses this year.
4: Well, I know you yourself were a high school teacher in the past.
5: Yeah, I actually really love teenagers, and I like doing stories with young people. And so this last story is one from 2015 when I got to camp in Marin County on a very rainy night with a group from the California Conservation Corps. That's the state program that puts young people to work doing things like building and maintaining trails. And you can imagine they burn thousands of calories a day. So I wanted to learn about the role that food plays for a crew like that. All right, hold it, hold it. You got it? There it is. 20-year-old Willie Parker shows me the huge drainage area. He and his crew are shoring up on a trail outside Devil's Gulch Camp.
6: It should last like a couple of hundred years, a long time. I think that's pretty awesome.
3: Watch your foot, watch your hands.
5: California Conservation Corps members, C's for short, roll rocks as heavy as 500 pounds into place and chisel them for a snug fit. That's all to support the tens of thousands of hikers, mountain bikers, and horseback riders that'll use this trail.
6: Over the time, the dirt, the leaves will fall over it to make it look natural.
5: Parker's got a broad smile and hair peeking out from under his blue hard hat. Corps members earn minimum wage and spend eight days working, then six days back at a residential center near Lake Tahoe, where they get time off and take classes. Like Parker, many work on their GEDs. Two C's have left the trail work early.
6: I already seasoned it. I
7: start cutting the lemons and the oranges.
5: Samantha Pack and Gabina Lopez
7: are on KP duty tonight. KP stands for Kitchen Patrol or Kitchen Police, as we call it. It's the person whose duty it is to take care of the kitchen and
5: camp. The kitchen's really clean, but it's not much to look at.
6: It's basically just an old burlap tent. It's set up with our two stoves. Two chests that are filled with our pots and our pans, plates, dishes. It's it's a tight space.
7: This is the onion for the the fish. In my mind, I think it's going to taste good. They're feeding a crew of 20, plus a couple supervisors. For us KP's, we try to make something delicious just to make the crew feel like they're at their house.
5: Each year, California Conservation Corps hires about 3,000 men and women between 18 and 25. Each C has his or her own reasons for joining, but many here, like Samantha Pack, told me they needed some direction.
6: I was very defiant. I was taught to always run from my problems, and that's what I did. And so when I started to realize that running wasn't getting things done, it, it, it finally clicked and my mentality changed.
5: The Bakersfield native found she really loves trail work.
6: I had never done any kind of labor at all. You know, I grew up not going to school, sitting on the couch, you know, and then all of a sudden being told, dig this hole, move this there, and it really gave me, what I, I guess, what I always needed. You know, that not only that discipline, but having an urgency to get things done the right way.
7: It's like we're a big machine as a group, and the
5: KP's are the batteries the machine. Lopez pulls out the eight-day food calendar, labeled for breakfast and dinner. Today we're having
7: fish, filet, rice pilaf, carrots, and salad. And um, day four, which would be Saturday, we're having pork chops, red potatoes, broccoli,
5: and salad. Victor Belietz flips through pages in a binder in his office on Mount Tamalpais. He oversees maintenance of state parks in Marin.
7: I'm looking at old food orders, and this was a group of civilian conservation corps that were working at Mount Tamalpais. And this one is
5: from 1939. And guess what? It sounds a lot like what the KP crew is making tonight. For supper, there was filet of sole, there were mashed potatoes, creamed carrots, bread, The similarities in the menu aren't sentimental. Camp food has always had to fuel large groups for hard labor. Founded in 1933 as a New Deal effort, the Civilian Conservation Corps employed millions of young men, many of them veterans, to work in remote, government-owned land, planting trees, building roadways, updating parks. In Marin, they built trails and camps in a beautiful amphitheater, still in use today. The Corps only accepted men, and the crews were segregated by race. It seems inconceivable today when you look at the mix of uh, California Conservation Corps. Which is about a quarter women and very diverse. But Beliat says what the two have in common is young people doing important work as a group for the public good. Part of that culture that's built around a camp gets built around males. Back at camp, as his fellow Corps members start to come off the trail, Gabino Lopez tends the fire.
7: I'd honestly rather sit in the fire and watch it for like three hours and sit at home in a couch and just watch TV, I think. So I'd
5: rather bathe in the creek than shower in the bathroom. I don't know, it just makes me feel more alive, I think. Coming in hot! And he's happy, pan-frying fish and sautéing carrots. Willie Parker says, after working all day and hiking down, KP is a lifesaver.
6: Just get to camp, and the food's just smelling good, and you know everybody just be walking around the KP tent, ready to eat. So it's pretty good. We can, we got that right there.
5: Hey, so is everyone here, wash up. Like a lot of this crew, Parker didn't camp or fish as a
3: kid.
6: Camping, it's amazing, you know. <laughs> it's amazing, but like yeah, I haven't done none of that until I joined the CCC. How
3: are you
2: Yeah, we have hot water.
6: But it's not just about trying new things. Parker has a
5: two-year-old daughter at home in Sacramento.
6: I can bring my daughter up here when she gets older to understand and be like, I built this, you know? It opens my heart and my my mind like I can do something I never thought I could do, you know? Like I see trails and I, I used to wonder like, oh, I wonder how you built this or who built it, you know? And now it's like I find myself actually answering my own question
5: and finding purpose and pride in this work.
4: So Lisa, for your California Foodways series, you are doing a story from every one of California's 58 counties, a story about food.
5: How many more do you have to go? Just 15 more counties. So if anyone out there has food story ideas for places like Lassen, Solano, or Ventura counties, they should get in touch.
4: Lisa Morehouse with her series, California Foodways. You can hear all the stories here on the California Report Magazine or check out her California Foodways podcast. The California Report Magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Susie Racho is our producer-director. Seal Muller mixed the stories in this show. And Brendan Willard is our engineer. And I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.